The Singapore stock market seems to have limited growth and it's very difficult to get people excited about it, especially when it seems like there are huge opportunities all around the world. But there is a class of tools known as REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust, that somehow has a lot of love. So I had to bring on someone to talk about how we should evaluate the SG REITs markets, especially when you're seeing a lot of local REITs going on an acquisition of foreign properties as they scale. I mean, there are not a lot properties here anymore. <laughs> so how does foreign exposure then affect us local guys when we don't want to entertain forex risks? How do you know a REIT is worth further looking into? For that and more, welcome back, Coconuts! Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to another Chills with TFC session. In this series, we hope to bring on interesting, relevant people to help us learn better from various perspectives. Life is not always about learning from people that you already agree with. Perspectives shape around the thinker. So in our pursuit of the life we love or managing our finances, well, our guest for today is someone that you've probably seen around disturbing your YouTube videos. But I'm not talking about fake gurus, yeah? He joins me to discuss various REIT themes and fundamentals, how to evaluate them. So let's welcome Drew, founder of a leading robo-advisor in Singapore. So you guys are like super synonymous with like REITs, yeah. right? Essentially, right? That was kind of like, when I first saw it, I was like, oh yeah, smart, trying to do like market differentiation. Yeah. You don't want to be like the same with everyone else. Yeah. So could you kind of give me a core idea of like why REITs here in Singapore? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I mean, see, at the end of the day, I think at the core of it, right, what we were trying to build at Saif is not like a robo-advisor, right? I think which is, I guess, what many people would synonymously compare us with and some other place in that domain, right? I think what we want to do is we want to enable and empower our customers, right? And sometimes the answer of that can't be one portfolio in some regards, right? Sometimes the answer of that can't be just a globally diversified portfolio, right? So to be honest, the idea of REITs was more driven from the fact of us understanding our users and understanding the need of passive income and essentially users, you know, wanting something that would give some sort of, you know, stable source of income. Now, as you know, REITs have this very unique characteristic that 90% of the income has to, you know, get paid out um, as dividends, which is the reason why, you know, even in like last year, the average was a 4%, which is great given where the world and where the interest <laughs> rates are going, right? Yes. So the idea was more around, you know, finding tools to generate that. And I think Singapore, fortunately, has a great REIT market. I'd say the second largest in Asia after Japan. Um, and we obviously have very close ties with the SGX, mm. uh, which had the IH Leaders Index, right? And now we obviously, you know, work with them. We are like officially like in a partnership with them. And we loved the index. We loved it much more than some of the other benchmarks that we saw. We obviously have our own filters and mechanics which, you know, go on it, which we can happily talk about a bit later. Um, but the idea was essentially, you know, you want to give a tool to customers to achieve what they want, right? Now, you can tell everyone that they want a globally diversified portfolio, 
but their perception could be different. They might not want that 8%, 10% with that fluctuation. <laughs> they might be more comfortable with the 4% with something they can look and feel. And REITs are great because at the end of the day, these are physical assets, right? Mm. I always say like, you know, in my view, uh, the beauty of REIT in general is that you're essentially buying a piece of land indirectly in some ways, right? Um, which, you know, there can be broader economic things which can move the market 10, 20% down. But something has to go drastically wrong for it to lose 80, 100% of its value, right? Mm. Which you can't say the same for, I know, a tech company, you know, which is poorly managed or something of that sort, right? Yeah. So I think for us, it was more about addressing a need. Mm. And everything that we do and what we've done, like the portfolios, whether it's the core portfolio, which now we've launched and so on and so forth, um, it's all built around addressing a need. Rather than oh REITs Singapore cool let's do it right, <laughs> right? So, so, so 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 there's a bit of a there's a bit of a, of a of a thought that goes behind these things yeah for sure for um, sure and uh, and yeah and, and I think one thing very cool we did was we added a component of risk management mm. uh, which people actually really love and what happens is in volatile markets we decrease the REIT component and automatically increase the bonds right. Uh, cap the REIT at least to 50%, it won't go below 50%, which was great because last year when REITs had you know come off by 20%, 30%, our portfolios was only down like close to like 10 or 12% because this bonds actually rose also in value, right? Mm. Because everyone was buying yeah. bonds at that so point, people right? People were balancing it with Exactly, bonds. right? So what happens is people did not lose much and because they did not lose much, they stayed invested and as the markets have recovered and everyone's happy right now, so. Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a cool part, right? Mm. And, SG REITs, like it's so synonymous like with dividend play. Yeah. Right. Because there is like no tax on dividend in Singapore. Exactly. Yeah. So even know, for corporates or, yeah. or and, and, and individuals globally, right? So yeah, that's great. Exactly, yeah. right. So so people are like super big on like REITs as a dividend play here. Yeah. You know, but it's not exactly the same everywhere else. Like in the US, REITs yeah. can be very aggressive, right? <laughs> yes. It's yes. a it is a vehicle, people buy and sell property under that vehicle and then you know it can become very much a growth play. Yeah. Right. So I'm just trying to get your sense that in Singapore, when I'm investing in REIT, do I look at it strictly as a dividend play? Yeah. Or, you know, do is there like growth opportunities mm, in, in, yeah. in this space? Yeah. It's a great question, uh, Reggie, because uh, if you think of it like dividends itself by concept is like value, right? You're trying yeah. to seek a somewhat certain value out of it, right? Yes. But the reality is you only get growth if you reinvest the mm. dividend, you don't pay out and you actually reinvest the resources, right? Yes. So somewhere, actually, you know, it's a little tricky because you're actually, you you want the value, but you want the growth also in some regards, right? Yeah. Um, so I, for, to some extent, I almost would not put them in the same light, like yeah. of value and growth, which you sometimes, you know, put for, I guess, conventional, you know, US stocks, right? Mm. But, you know, if you have to go closer to one of the two edges, I would probably inch a bit closer towards value. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think, you know, you will probably not see that crazy level of growth in REITs over time, but you will see a more sustainable value driven growth. And that's perhaps the view that I would take. Right. But again, I think it's probably a bit off given, you know, you know what I mean, right? Basically, yeah. you, you you want to seek the value, but you're like, hey, where's the growth? I mean, but you see seeking the value, right? Mm -hmm. That's the whole point. Right. So, yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Right. And that is the dichotomy that a lot of people will face, yeah. you know, especially younger investors trying to, you know, straddle this space. Right. Yeah. So because the underlying asset is the property. Correct. Right, so we got to see it from the property level if we want to kind of see like massive growth. If not, everything on top is just financial engineering, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so at the core of it, are REITs here not going to be like growing a lot? And in the sense of like, uh, like local REITs not going to have the kind of growth because 
there have no properties to buy or, yeah. or, 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 or what's been, going I've been on? hearing this. I heard the story yesterday <laughs> that someone bought a house off for like hundred million dollars or something <laughs> yeah. off of like the of the British High Commission. I was like, man, and that house was sold in two thousand three for like twenty million dollars. I mean, five x in eighteen years, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, for a house of that sort size, yeah, for sure. For uh, sure. But, but I agree. I think it's like collector. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, it's a collector like, item, right? I mean, there's yeah. no price to those things. It's yeah, like, no it's price to those. No price to that <laughs> thing, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. you name a price and here's a check, yes, right? Yes, yes, um, it's easy, huh? If as a buyer also, you're like, you name the price, I'll just mm, try to check, mm, right? Mm. Uh, no, I think, um, but I agree with you. I think it's probably m- probably more aligned to value than growth in that regard, yeah. In that sense, we're seeing some of the REITs here locally, yeah. right? They are acquiring foreign properties. Mm. You know, not so much in Singapore because probably there's not, not a not lot. Much left, right? <laughs> yeah. Not much left. So when, when, when they are acquiring foreign property, right, um, what are some things that you know we need to be concerned about? Because that will mm. increase foreign composition, right? Then sure. that will in- may increase management costs and, and those kind of things, right? Sure. So I just want to hear from your perspective, like what are some things that yeah. we need to be very cognizant? No, it's a it's a great question. I think there's something that even we look in, you know, when we end up, you know, deciding our kind of REIT pool, right? So I think it comes down to why you're actually investing in that REIT, right? Um, if your view is to get some sort of a passive income, which is I presume Singapore dollar dominated. Um, when you add start adding foreign components, you do add a layer of currency risk, right? Where the currency could move either way, either stronger or weaker, right? Uh, plus, of course, there's always this concern that hey, you know, what if you can't really end up controlling the setup, right? And especially, I think it's probably easier when an acquisition is made in US or in Australia, where you know, there's a, it's a bit more, I guess sorted legitimate market yeah, you know yeah. you you will get your property at some way in some ways <laughs> yeah more mature w- in this space versus <laughs> like more like an emerging market right where yeah. you know you're like all right <laughs> all right you can have it but you're not allowed to come in right yeah, you know till you get a vaccine or something i don't know um the i, I guess the point comes down to is that I, I think to a certain limit that diversification actually is very healthy for the same reasons because you know that you're putting all these in the same basket right mm. but i would still suggest that generally if the purpose you're looking at least the way how we construct the purpose you're looking is sg denomination right and it's it's a very local like it's yeah, very Singaporean that's kind what of i theory. want you know that's, like, that's what yeah. you want is there another way is that they are global then if you're going to go global then why why here <laughs> why, why reach right i mean the whole yeah. world opens right you want to buy the amazons or teslas or mm. general motors whatever mm. uh, at the end of the day right um, so I would say that a little bit of diversification is healthy. Mm. I think, you know, you know, perhaps as we, as we say, diversification is the only free lunch in town. Mm-hmm. But, but I would say that if it starts becoming like, I don't know, 40-50% of the portfolio, I would definitely be concerned. I mean, how do I say? Then, then I'm probably going on a growth story rather than a value story exactly, in that regard, right? Because exactly. I'm taking a punt on currency. And you saw last year, right? I mean, the currency moved by like 10%, like, you know, from mm. the high to lows. I mean, yes. this is serious moves, right? Mm. And if this is your kind of passive income, if this is like your retirement income and all, you probably don't want that in my view. Mm, yeah, I, I totally get that, which is why I'm relatively concerned to see a lot of, you know, f- local REITs yeah. having acquisition, you know, uh, abroad and yeah. and all those kind of stuff. I think um, in a limit, it's fine, right? I mean, I don't know what the right yeah. number is, but I would say like, if it's like 10, 20% of their book, Fair, mm, right? Okay. If it becomes like 40-50%, then you're actually not really investing in local REIT. You're actually investing exactly. in international REIT, right? <laughs> you're, you're going abroad, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Growth story and all yeah, those yeah, kind of stuff. So, so then what are some metrics that you guys look at when evaluating a REIT? Like, yeah. you know, like I know it's different sector and, and all those kind of stuff, yeah. you know, but what are some like broad metrics that matter you know, in, in selection of a REIT? Yeah, so from our perspective, right, like generally what we, of course, we obviously work very closely with with SGX, right, because they have the leaders index, right, which has about 46 uh, REITs in them, right. 
Um, now, I think one of the things that we've done is that because we think of it like a passive income, SGD income, we consciously do not choose any non-SGD denominated REITs because we don't want, like for example, Manulife US. I mean, I you know the reason we haven't chosen, I think it's a good REIT. The reason we haven't chosen it is because it defeats the purpose that what we are trying to achieve in terms yeah. of you know uh, the setup, right? But first and foremost, right, I think what we will look at is something like the the eligibility, right, which is like the free float, like what's out there. So basically, it has to be like at least a minimum of twenty percent, right? Um, which is what we ensure that ensures that okay, this REIT is then eligible, you know, to be in the index and hence part of our kind of portfolio, right? I think secondly, very important, I think very very relevant in Singapore, and I remember this from my trading days at UBS. I mean, the Singapore generally, you know, it's a lot of waiting game if you <laughs> bid or offer if you ever trade the markets and all that mm -hmm. because if you cross the spread in many cases you've lost like half a percent or a percent right mm. which is significant right especially if you are you know making an investment right in some regards but generally if the stocks are liquid enough right like they have enough secondary liquidity uh, what that means is that you can easily buy or sell like for us right now we need things where you know on days we'll be buying like millions and millions of dollars of a single REIT right now if that liquidity is not there we can significantly start impacting the market right mm. which we don't want to do right yeah so the second very important criteria for us is what is the secondary liquidity right because uh, if that's not there then essentially you know it leads to poor execution and a poor i guess endpoint you know for 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 our clients right then we of course look at market capitalization i think generally you know larger reits are better poised to weather the storm and you see this time and time again right i think we've seen it last year also right when these things happen you know they can take that 10 20% hit much more easily versus you know the smaller reits right so so market cap plays a very very big role right then we also look at the quality of the managers i think that plays a very big role um because getting the right kind of sponsor so as to speak right ensures you have you know access to basically uh capital going forward right because when a capital and goes out and gets money you'll get it much easier as compared to let's say some of the other you know smaller kind of reit players right mm -hmm. so this again helps either when you're expanding or you are basically you know in a bit of a tough situation like last year right and i think this is a critical consideration because at the end of the day you have the reits which might give you 8% dividends but if the reits don't themselves survive mm -hmm. then you have more serious issues right so so it's a trade off right and i think the last thing that we look at is actually diversification uh, when we basically build our portfolios right and this again was a great example of it was last year right as i mentioned earlier like i think diversification is a the best thing you can do to your portfolio right it's you know it's the only free lunch in town as we say right what happened was when we built the portfolio we had everything from retail to hospitality to data centers to you know office space commercial space everything together right now because what happened last year in around march etc the office spaces of course were really hit but in reality if you look some of the industrial reits were actually up even in the month of april right they actually were outperforming right yeah. they're actually up on your and things like that right so having that balance ensured that you know you're not seeing that 40 50% corrections that mm. some of the reits were at one point you know looking to face right and the beauty of it is that if for example even after all your regress selection if one of the reit just completely backfires right it's a part of your portfolio right mm. it will you will not lose your you know sleep on it right <laughs> so i said right yeah. i mean for we are getting this question oh can i lose like you know 50% portfolio i'm saying i wouldn't say it's not possible but in reality there has to be something like drastic right yeah. like a like, like a more bomb. like a like like a <laughs> like a natural disaster or something of that sort yeah. right i mean yeah. and then i guess we all are <laughs> we, yeah. have, we all have bigger problems and right nobody is protected yeah, so nobody, financial no, no, markets are no longer yeah, important yeah, absolutely right <laughs> 
but again i think like at that time i mean a lot of people kept on saying hey you know why aren't you like you know why aren't you selling like offices why are you like you know buy more residential and so on and so forth and we were also the view right listen the, the idea is diversification right if office spaces for a very long time will never get used what do you think is going to happen they'll make them homes it's standard right what shop houses are a great example they are sometimes shops they are sometimes houses and sometimes they are back shops right i mean where i live right the shop house which keeps on getting changed every 2 years it's a shop someday it's someone's house someday it's everything right <laughs> and and i feel the same thing would happen in this space which was our argument there and b of course a bigger argument was that we will go back i mean these are like videos on youtube from like 6 7 months ago right people are like oh you should sell all this thing and all i'm like no this is a conscious choice we are diversifying and in fact the portfolio has done well because as you know vaccine news has come out as we move to 50% as we move to 75% these things have actually recovered the most mm. right now i can say that you know we are the guy who picks one read buy today sell tomorrow and so on and so forth we can do it but that's not what we want to do right what we want to do is build a diversified the view is a long term view but at the same time this diversification ensures you don't lose a lot of your resources but also get what you really started again going back to your first principle i'm doing this for passive income i'm doing this to get my 4 or 5% right and yeah. that is something you know which 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 is it and i generally think given how the singapore market is and i just think it's going to get more expensive and more with more i guess you know hearing of all these like companies coming and you know <laughs> buying like offices and so on and so exactly, forth exactly exactly i i think it's a i generally think like if you have sgd funds i mean i would also recommend investing globally and all don't get me wrong but your sgd piece i think this should be a very very big part of your portfolio it is definitely a big part of my portfolio because i think there's a story of growth also as i said i'm not going to bet on it but i think the value and over time it's far going to outperform any other you know fixed deposit options or whatever you have out so may I speak right for sure for sure which is the whole passive cash flow generating absolutely. kind of kind of strategy right? absolutely millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. In the process of deciding this reach, right? I think you talk about management, right? Yeah. So management is always this like big question mark gray <laughs> zone discussion because. You know, if we're talking about like balance sheet, we're talking yeah. about like numbers. These things are relatively undeniable. You yeah. know, they are there, right? They're yeah. objective measurements, right? So, yeah. how do I know if my read manager is doing uh-huh. a good job, right? That's a question. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great question, right? I think one way to do it, and you know, I, I know the saying, and I should caveat it with an asterisk: <laughs> past performance does not promise future yes, results. Yes, yes. But generally, how some of the reads have performed. and handled situations right like for example i remember like some of the reits last year they did prudently for the right reason cut dividends mm-hmm. now to a layman you'd be like oh you know you cut your dividends you are a terrible reit you're a bad sponsor actually no you did the right thing that was the right thing to do you've got this extra buffer to weather a storm what realistically is going to happen i presume is that when the next time comes around they will pay that back out but they had that option and they did that right thing because you know not paying out dividend is always going to be much better than going out and externally sourcing capital which was getting tricky you know like there was this liquidity crunch and all we going like march and april 2020 we've all lived through it right 
So, so I think it's a bit it more just about... felt like yesterday. It does feel like <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man, sometimes I say, oh yeah, I remember last year I went to Phuket and I was like, well, last year was 2019, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, 2020 is, like, is, 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 is a write-off, Let right? me out, guys. <laughs> let me out. <laughs> yeah, Pulau Pula Ubin is my, is my new favorite hangout. Yeah, so <laughs> love that spot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, you know, back to your question, right? I reckon seeing something how they've withered in some of these situations, you know, seeing 2000, 2010, I mean, generally the management does not, you know, change very regularly. Uh, so you actually see how they've, you know, handled these situations can be a good proxy. And, um, you know, it goes into one of the factors when when we see how some of these players do. So in, in Singapore, there's a lot of talk about good sponsor. Mm. Like as a management, you know, you got to good, good, get like good sponsor for your read, you know, um, which is not the talk everywhere. Yeah. You know, it's like not every country, you know, when we talk at REITs, whether it's in Japan or whether it's in the US, you know, it's not as big as a discussion here yeah. compared to like having a good sponsor mm. in Singapore, right? So yeah. I'm, I'm curious, why is that so important? You know, unique to the Singapore REIT market. Yeah. I would say like mainly two reasons, right? I think the first one we briefly covered, which was access to capital when things are good and when things are bad. And I would say cheap capital, more importantly, right? If you are a good sponsor, people are more comfortable. Like, I mean, mm. you know, I've spent most of my career in a bank. You know, you would give a good sponsor with a good track record, et cetera, um, a much, uh, how do I say, um, a much lower rate for a higher value versus, you know, somebody gives you a higher rate, but you have a higher risk, right? Mm. So I think that access, that cheap access to capital really helps accelerate plans because I think people who don't have good sponsors would want good sponsors, right? Because it's, I mean, nobody would mind cheaper because it affects your bottom line, it affects your return, right? I think the second aspect, of course, I think of the good sponsor comes into play is that as, you know, you mentioned, many of the reads are now looking overseas. I think generally good sponsors, predominantly, you'd expect them to have a broader network and reach and also, you know, better understanding in some of these jurisdictions. Vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, if you've never really, you know, stepped outside Singapore and, you know, you just go outside and go and buy, it's always, always a gamble, mm. right? Mm. So I think um, it's interesting. It's like a cumulative effect, which just keeps on getting bigger and bigger as, you know, it's a good get kind of better in some ways, right? Uh, well, until they don't, I guess. But, <laughs> but, 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 but I think mainly these two reasons, right? I would say uh, access to, to capital and um, access to better understanding, especially as this foreign, you know, as you said, like Singapore is, I mean, they, 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 we can't reclaim fast enough, right? Mm -hmm. So so basically this is going to be a very common trend you'll see going forward, right? And I, I think I think it's prudent for the companies to do it. Of course, I think if it crosses a certain number, I wouldn't say it's necessarily bad, but I think then you have to rethink because then it becomes a currency risk and all the different factors that start coming into play, right? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna mess up your equations, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we do that's that's the advantage of being on Cypher Plus. We do it for you, right? Uh, we, 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 we'll, we'll rebalance, right? Shameless plug. Shameless plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I realize I haven't spoken about this yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. <laughs> just, I, I promised myself I'll speak about it every three minutes yeah, at least yeah. once. Yeah. <laughs> Nice, uh, yeah. nice. So then, you know, like uh, in your portfolio yeah. and in, in the broader market here, there are all sorts of REITs. Sure. Right? A lot of different choices. Sure. So I just want to pick your, your idea on like some of your opinions, right? Of, yeah. Like um, what are some like of uh, the REITs that you think will will, will outperform like yeah. market expectations, right? So this is purely educational. We're not giving you <laughs> advice and all this kind of stuff, right? But it's yeah. just like... You know, the market now is definitely a lot more settled than before. Sure. You know, but yeah, the commercial REITs and all have made like a, a bit yeah, of a comeback. Exactly. And yeah. A lot of them have come back. So yeah. I want to hear your thoughts on like which sectors yeah. do you think you know are, are pretty interesting to look at. Yeah. 
I think uh, this view we had even back then, right? I mean, I do think the commercial sectors and all, you know, have come back and, you know, and will continue coming back, right? I feel, I don't know if I just be moved to our new office, right? And and this was fortunately before the 75% ruling came out. And um, man, like, like we struggled for a 10% discount, like pre-COVID levels. And this was like when we were like, you know, negotiating in the month of like Jan. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I was like, hang on guys. I mean, aren't isn't it a shit show now? Yeah, isn't it? I remember <laughs> a pandemic, aren't like these offices free? <laughs> So a couple of things. Firstly, there are that many free offices. At least, I mean, we we had we have a decent sized team now. So you know, getting that uh, getting that together, and uh, we realized like the rates haven't really come off. And I think now it's only probably going to accelerate a bit more with this thing. But having said that, that does not mean that I'm advocating commercial rates are the best buy in that regard. Uh, I think our view was same what we had in the last six to nine months, right? I think they have there will be some permanent shifts in behavior. Uh, which have happened and which will remain. And I, I don't think we will return to BAU, right? Even now, we are almost certain we, we might not ever return to a five-day work week. It might become four plus one kind of thing, right? I know. I Something. can envision that. I can right. envision it, yeah. yes. I would yes. love it. Just saying, right? <laughs> All you employers out there, four plus one, three plus two, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, People yeah. don't so, need to go into office every day. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. So the sectors that I think are very interesting, I think are going to be uh, like sectors around the industrial REITs. Uh, I would say the, the ones around like logistics mm. and data centers, because I feel basically what last year has done is if you looked at any so-called tech company like ourselves, right, you made your forecast, you're like, okay, this is 2020, we are here. In 2023, we'll be here. In 2025, we'll be here. Essentially, this one year has compressed the next mm. two or three years. So this move was already happening, but this shift has just, it has accelerated. But I still think it has more wings. So I would say probably these sectors remain our topics per se, right? Like logistics, yeah healthcare and, uh, you know, uh, industrials, right? But having said that, right, I mean, some of them have really run up, right? And that's why I honestly, like, if you're going to tell me to pick a REIT, I will not, I will, you know, still end up buying yeah. a diversified portfolio. Yeah, yeah. That, no, no shameless plug this time. Yeah, yeah. But that was a plug, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but so. that is the base case for most yeah. uh, portfolios out there, right? Which is, which is great. Which, which is, is great. yeah, which is yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. That's what I would suggest, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. You know, but I, I do think some people, they, they want to have, a little bit more concentration in certain sure. sectors, right? With with the broad base at the bottom, sure. right? So so that's that, right? And sure. um, I just want to pick your head a little bit further about like logistic rates, mm. right? Because logistics is this like super unsexy thing that people don't usually connect with. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like yeah. very far flung out from your day-to-day life, right? Yeah. So sometimes we talk about it, but people don't really understand. People don't know what that logistics is. Yeah, they area. don't understand. They, they cannot okay. envision it until Suez Canal happened, right? So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all the memes come out, yeah, right? Yeah, but, yeah, absolutely. But I uh, just want to get your idea on like how should we look at logistical reads because there's a network over sure. here, right? That that makes it powerful. So I want to yes. hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I think this is, um, you know, I used to... Uh, a couple of years, the previous startup was in, in e-commerce, right? And it was very heavy inventory-led, right? So we had these massive warehouses, right? We're talking of warehouses like 100,000 square feet size, right? Having like, you know, I don't know, like 10, 20,000 different kind of products and then multiple of them. So at any given time, you have like, you know, millions of, I would say, products like just in that warehouse, right? If you combine everything out, right? Um, so basically, what... Uh, logistics which essentially are doing is that they can either become, you know, places that typically might become feeder stations to like the end consumers, right? Like places where things get aggregated and disaggregated, so on and so forth, right? And to give you a very interesting example, um, I think in the US, when, you know, the prices in cities like Philadelphia, etc. became very high downtown, 
um, I think I think it was Amazon. They were trying to launch this like half an hour model, right? But they realized they really can't do this half an delivery model until the goods are here. So some of these offices in these old kind of buildings end up becoming like these logistics kind of you know really? hubs and something of like that sort, right? Uh-huh. Exactly, right? So I mean, whether it's this, whether it's like you know vehicles coming and going out, so on and so forth. Now I think as we become more of a you know couch generation, right? Couch m- generation. M- m- more so, more so. Um, yeah, there's a word I used to quite like about it. Uh, it's called the underwear economy because <laughs> underwear you, because, because you're basically doing everything from home, right? Sitting in your in your boxes, right? I mean that's what that's what like last year was for most of mm, us, right? Mm, mm, mm. Um, but as this trend happens more, I feel like and you would have seen this. Ask yourself a simple question. How many orders did you have this month versus how many orders you had six months ago delivered to your home mm. and six months before that? And this trend is just increasing more and more and more. And this will, I think this is like unstoppable, right? Mm. I mean, I don't think anyone ever said, oh my God, I can't wait to go to the departmental store mm. to buy one ice cream. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, sometimes you do, but I mean, that's like once in a year, right? Mm. Um, so I think that will actually accelerate and I feel there'll be just more need for it. And I feel, and that's what I've always said, like, I think if certain REITs generally struggle, they will consider moving it to different, if, if offices can get converted, right, I think it's, you know, a lot, a lot can happen, right? Residentials generally, I'm not that concerned because people are looking for bigger houses and, you know, people are not staying anywhere and so on and so forth. There's always uh, an easy way out for it's residentials. A, it's an easy way out, right? Because, yes. and, and, and that I think, you know, you will always have demand, right? I mean, mm. there's a lot of people who want to, I guess, move to Singapore, you know, pushing up at least the condo prices, you know, uh, but at the same time, you know, people want, I guess, bigger, better houses, so on and so forth, yeah. because now they are like, oh, I'm going to be spending more time at home, which is true. You will be spending, like, if you think of it, you'll be in many practical ways spending almost 50% more time, right? If you think of it outside the sleeping time because you're spending a whole extra day, right? You know, we spend two days, now you're spending this third day at home, right? And sometimes it's actually more because normally on the weekends you might go out, but this day you're normally going to be on your thing. So people want, you know, if they can, they want this one extra room and so on and so forth. So generally not concerned. I, If I'm not mistaken, I read somewhere residential property two-year high, Right, mm, which is mm. like I mean, it's already surpassed the pre-COVID yeah, levels and all that, over, right? Yeah. Um, so, so not really concerned, but but I think logistics as a, as a trend will will continue. Nice, know? nice. What about about data centers? Data centers is also this, you know, <laughs> like oh, always sounds so exciting, <laughs> you know, but it's also so complex yeah, to understand. Like the, the, yeah, the kettles so, and yeah, all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's basically gonna be you know, I mean, I without getting too technical, right? I think everything is now moving to the cloud, right? And yeah. I mean, the cloud essentially is think of it rather than your old kind of server rooms that used to have in offices or, you know, big homes, et cetera. So why is he, um, think of it, it's more like centralized place where these things are kept to optimize. So rather than, you know, your hard disk, which is at your home, think it's in this massive kind of center, mm-hmm. right? You know, your, your systems, your processing power, rather than happening at home, it's happening at these centers, right? And this trend to move towards this kind of cloud-based thing is, it's already in motion, it's already happened. I mean, like, we are 100% on the cloud, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which actually is great because it helps companies scale up, scale down very easily. Uh, it's actually very, very cost-effective until you're very, very big. And even when you're very big, it's still generally cost-effective because it's very nimble. You can change with the times and you know uh, you can do a lot by scaling up and down and moving your cost up and down, right? Mm. Uh, when I say scaling up, like in a very simple way, if you have 10 CPUs and you need 100 CPUs, you can do it with a click of a button, right? Yeah, for sure. Which otherwise is a very heavy, expensive cost, but it does not make any sense because technology is changing, adapting, and all that. 
So think of it like, you know, if you unify the requirements, because you might not need 100 CPUs throughout the day, mm. but, you know, in the day you might need it, but at night somebody else can use it because at night, you know what, there is someone who's working the night shift in Singapore and vice versa, right? Yeah. So essentially, data centers are those places which will essentially store, you know, these massive kind of, you know, computing, warehouses, computing yeah. stuff mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, like I don't know what's a, the matrix kind of you know yeah, examples, yeah, yeah. The right? Vibes, right? The vibes, yeah. yeah. But but when we look at data centers, yeah. right? I think a lot of people don't recognize that the data center ecosystem is highly network driven yes. in the sense that there are very big players in the game. Yes, companies like Equinix, right? Which yeah. is like huge. You know, they're like sure. everywhere, and um, they they do have that kind of skill. Yeah, you know, uh, involved compared to like Capital DC. Yeah, all right. So so does does that matter? You know, when, when we're looking a, at like yeah, data it's a center good point. Rates? I mean, um, the thing is, like, there are very few players of this in Singapore, right? And barely any, <laughs> barely any, right? Yeah, I think two of yeah, them. Yeah, two of them, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so basically, the thing is as economies evolve, right? Generally, there's a lot of sensitivity around the data remaining onshore, mm. as in remaining in the same kind of country, right? Mm. We, we do it all, like, all things are in Singapore servers, right? Of course, like PDPA and safety and other angles. Yeah. And, and it, it makes sense. I think, you know, I think, you know, we all expect that the next blow up is not going to be a nuclear one, it's probably going to be a cyber one and so mm. on and so forth. So it's, it's prudent and it's the right thing to do. So I know they're the big global players, which really helps, but I feel they will actually work with the local players and they will need to do that rather than, you know, it being, you know, competing for the same space, especially in, in places like Singapore, which is just a one or two players. And I feel we'll be largely controlled. I don't expect us to have like 20, you know, data, data reads yeah. and everything coming yeah. out, right? Okay, so. fair. And for all of you who don't know, Singapore is actually the internet exchange within this region, right? <laughs> yeah. So the major internet cables are in Hong Kong, Australia, yes. and then Singapore. Singapore so all yeah. your regional internet, all the data, they're all pulled here to the data centers here. Yes. So there's a lot of advantage here, but yeah, it's your choice. You make a decision, right? <laughs> yeah. So last question for you. Um, do you think a pure like SG read portfolio will will better perform over time compared to like a like a diversified allocation play? You know, it's a um, it's a tough one to be honest, right? Mm. I mean, I mean, there are I, a lot of caveats, right? Yeah, so a lot, lot free of to, caveats, right? Free to, so yeah. I would come back to what we had spoken earlier. If your goal is Singapore dollar, this is a slight a pure SG read is a slightly safer play from that angle, right? I generally am a fan of a bit of a diversification. But I feel majority of the REITs are diversifying, right? Mm. And for me, and again, this is not like, I mean, this is not a set in stone number, but I'm saying if overall across my portfolio, if 20% of the exposure is overseas, I'll be a bit more comfortable. I'm actually completely fine with it. I feel that that's what I require. But I personally would still like a larger amount of focus on Singapore because this is my SGD passive income portfolio. Mm. Now, if you really have a view on real estate as a sector, then it's a different story. But then I would probably go and say, if that is a strong view, then you're probably better off, you know, going to Hong Kong and buying a link read or, you know, getting a US listed read or something of that sort, right? Mm. Um, without we trying to, you know, force fit it through the yes. SG read model, right? Yes. Uh, if that's the view. So so my personal bias would be still heavier focus on on, on keeping it Singapore based. It's good. I, I like it. Clarity is, you know, SGD denominated. Yeah. We don't on foreign rate exchange risk because it's your passive income portfolio you want right. to keep it here not seeking excessive growth you know relative to <laughs> yeah. places other parts of the world where property market it's even more interesting right yeah Re relative absolutely. to, to where it is so yeah thank you thanks for sharing thanks thank for you. tuning thank you in so much thank you yeah we'll have you around take care thank you cheers man hey i hope 
you learned something useful today and truly appreciate that you took time off to better your life with the financial coconut. Knowledge is that much more powerful and interesting when shared, debated and discussed. Join our community telegram group, follow us on our social, sign up for the newsletter. Everything is in the description below. And if you love us, will help us grow the free, share the podcast with your friends and on your socials. Also, if you have some interesting thoughts to share or know someone that you want to hear more from, reach out to us through hello at thepotentialcoconut.com. With that, have a great day ahead. Stay tuned next week and always remember, personal finance can be chill, clear and sustainable for all. Okay, wait. I have, I have three more questions. Okay. We ask every single guest. Okay? Sure, so these sure. are three questions we ask every single guest. Okay. So feel free to you know, answer whatever comes to your mind, right? So number one is, what is one core life principle you hold closely to? Mm, can it be your value? Yeah, sure. Um, so there's this old um, Sanskrit word which is called karma, which you might have heard of. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure I'm sure everyone heard everyone's of karma. Heard of? Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, but okay. everybody has a different understanding That's of it. Karma, so right? I want to hear your <laughs> yeah. view. Yes. So very simply put, you know, you you know you you reap as you sow, right? Something of that sort, right? Uh, what it basically means is that uh, I think if you do good, good comes around. If you do bad, bad comes around. I think it all balances out. So the principle is that you know. I would say do good. Yeah. Nice. Good stuff. Number two is, uh, what is the personal finance advice that you feel needs to be further propagated? Mm. Saving is good. Investing is better. Nice. Short yeah. and sweet, right? Okay. Yeah. After you have capital, you're going to put it to good use. Yeah. Fundamentally. Mm. Number three is, uh, which part of your life are you giving additional focus on now? I'm trying to read more. I've been with all, you know, the growth of the company and, you know, we've moved to a new office and have almost like 40, 50 people now in Singapore. I know, dude. Uh, so <laughs> so trying, trying to read more and, you mm. know, uh, there, there's so much like, you know, a lot of problems I think we we face in life, like at least for me, like setting up a company, building a company, these are journeys that a lot of people have gone through, right? So so having a chance to read more and rather than, you know, always learning from mistakes, mm. learning from others' mistakes is mm. something I'm trying to, you know, get better at. Nice, good stuff. Read more, read more. Thank you. <laughs> awesome. Thank See you so around. much. Cheers. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.